Hungary. First day of American Indian Heritage Month. <laughs> Whatever that's that supposed is. to mean. I have no idea. Aye. Aye. Alrighty, what? Alright. Oh, you guys are ready? Five, four, three, yes. two, one. Welcome <coughs> to Five Alive. Steve She was giving the intro. No, she hasn't started yet. waiting for you. Of course he is. Well, He's clearly in his throat. Seriously? That was mommy's intro. No, was it? Being All right, hit it. Silly. No. It's got to be your voice. Yeah. Well, I don't have a Bible on me. Oh, I don't need it. Oh, I do. I have a Bible on me. <laughs> and her Bible's working for it. Oh, so look at that handsome man. <coughs> Woo! Excuse me. Look at that handsome man. What did you capture this photo as? What we, we do like when nobody. What, how we work out when nobody's watching. Dead asleep. I'm dead awake. The only problem is this: you can I'm see the dead. sweat on the back of my thing. What's wrong with that? On the back because of what thing? I shouldn't be sweating if I'm sleeping. Matt, look, I'm sweating all over. <laughs> Where? Don't eat. My armpits are all. Sweat. My face is in. glistening. Uh, no, you don't. You can see. Our <laughs> shirt's two toned. Yeah, it's a two-tone shirt. It must be the sun. Look, you yeah, got no sweat way. right there. That's on what the I've been mat. talking about. The sweat on the mat. Matt is Matt. I'm perfectly what? lined up. I'm not. It's hilarious. How many views? We look so funny. Daddy said he got a lot of funnies. People sending him stuff. Yeah. Funnies and people being nice. Not being nice. God People sees just you. That was just. Yeah, here's your meditation. God sees, God sees you, and He knows the effort that you've put forth. <laughs> All right. All right. Hit it. What? Five, four, three. It's quiet, cowboy. You're supposed to start. No, I'm not. You're starting. To You haven't done it yet. You're the one that has to be enthused. Oh, good grief. Otherwise, you won't make it through the show. The show. The show must go on. There you go. Now you're pumping yourself up. I don't have to pump myself I'm up. I'm hungry. Me too. Five, four, three. Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It is absolutely fantastic to have you with us today. Today, we are going to be talking about the ordinances, and there are two of them, two ordinances of the church. This is the ordinances that are followed by the church throughout all of the world, whether you are Roman Catholic, you are Eastern Asian Catholic, you are Armenian Catholic, you're Protestant, you're Evangelical. These are the two ordinances that the church follows of Jesus Christ the followers who call themselves Christians. So these are basically also traditional. Why is traditional important? I've never been asked that question before. Well, you're welcome for asking you. Why is tradition important? Yeah, so often hear that traditions are bad and <laughs> traditions are not good. That's, exactly. I've never heard of why are traditions important. Yeah, why? Okay, so let's start there. Why do people complain about traditions? No, no, no. 
No, no, let's start with why that way you can ponder why tradition is important at the same time because you've got the on your mind of why tradition is bad. No, I don't. I want to think about the positive. Okay. Why is tradition good? Why is tradition important? I would say tradition is important because of the consistency. Like, you know, I do this at this time. Okay. What about you guys? Why is tradition important? Because it shows where we've come from and where we are now. Absolutely. So like as in, in scripture, the tradition of pa- celebrating Passover and other things like that is important because they're remembering where they came from in Egypt to the point where they are now as a whole nation. Yes, definitely. Mallory, why do you think tradition is important? I think tradition is important because it's the time where like on holidays I always know that people always come together on those days and that's always like a tradition for everyone like every, like your whole entire family always comes on holidays mm-hmm. which is a good thing I agree absolutely uh, I, I wrote down four things and you guys basically mentioned all four of them with your th- three descriptions uh, it's a historical significance uh, it shows unity across the generations. So I know that my parents aren't the only ones that started this tradition. This tradition went on well before my family maybe even existed or maybe even my family name existed within the church. So I think that's a very important. It shows that I'm also unified with people, not just generationally, but people all across the globe. My culture doesn't dictate that I'm a Christian. Just because I'm an American, does that mean I'm a Christian? No. Absolutely, it does not. But yet there are a lot of religions of the world that you are that religion because of the place in which you were born. Yet, within Christianity, the ordinances of the church, the tradition of the church, shows unity across generations and across cultures. Because there are Christians in every culture of the world. We've talked about that before. Third, stability. It's not something new or coercive that somebody has all of a sudden come up with in order to manipulate us to become part of what would be canonized as a cult so that that way we can then manipulate more people in order to get more money, in order to get more things out of them for our benefit. But instead, the tradition or the ordinances of the church show a stability that this isn't a way to dominate over other people. And fourthly, it stands the test of time. A tradition stands the test of time. So within corporate worship, which is what we talked about last week, the two ordinances of the church are a piece of what transpires in our moments of corporate worship. And I knew this was going to happen, so you're going to want to edit this out. But I had the bread out for a reason, but it got put away. And I was going to grab the grapes so that, that way we could oh, have some I put the bread away. grapes. <laughs> that, I didn't know. So that we could have communion here on air. Um, was it me? Look at that. So, he took the initiative. <laughs> I saw the bread out. I was like, what's wrong with the bread? That's so cool. <laughs> the bread out. So he took the bread and put it away. But we've got the bread and the grapes out now, thanks to Xavier. That was a, just starting a, So funny. All right. Thank you. You should have probably told us this. <laughs> nope. Thank you, Xavier. Thank you, Xavier. All right. So, oh. in court... Five. 
four, three. So in corporate worship, the ordinances of the church are a piece of our corporate worship. 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 Are a piece of our corporate worship and cannot be neglected. Now, I want to share what those ordinances of the church are. Can you say worship again? Because Xavier said worship in front of you. But it's fine. I think it'll be fine. Okay. I think I said it already, too. All right. So the two ordinances of the church, both of these decrees carry weight with them for us to follow as Christians. And in Ephesians chapter four, verses four through six, this is the way we as Christians are called to be obedient. It says this in Ephesians four, four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So this oneness, this unity that we're talking about occurs in the two ordinances of the church. First one being water baptism and the other one being what? Holy communion. Holy communion. So the process of water baptism is where an individual is immersed immersed in the water. Okay, I'm going to start that over again because for whatever reason, my thing says emerged. The process of water baptism is where an individual is immersed in water and it is an outward physical representation of what is occurring or has occurred spiritually on the inside of the person. The death of sin and their old way of life is the person entering into the water. The complete immersion of the individual is the burial of the old self and coming out of the water represents a new life in Christ as we see in Romans chapter 6 verse 3. Throughout the Bible this is described as a passing of the old life and into a new life. In other words it's rebirth. Rebirth is shown in water baptism. That's why we do it because we are now new creations. We are now creatures that are newly dedicated and holy unto the Lord. And so this is an actual representation of what's going on inside of our spirit man. The examples that are mentioned in the Bible of water baptism, not just of an individual, but of a whole people group are found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. This is the story of Noah. And notice I didn't say Genesis, which is where the story of Noah is at. But this is Peter describing how Noah in the flood is a baptism that has occurred and is an example to us of how baptism is to work. For Christ also suffered once for our For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you 
not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Wonderful. And notice that if anybody ever says there were a few people that were with them, that means there has to be eight, according to this passage of Scripture. Just kidding. Kind of. <laughs> Another example of baptism is when Moses and the Israelites, what Xavier was already mentioning a little while ago, but when they escape for e from Egypt, they are baptized in the river that they pass through, or the sea that they pass through. I shouldn't say river, I should say sea. In the sea that they pass through. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. That ain't me. I have. That is me. 1 Corinthians. My U version's working now. I Yay! Because it's. Get another one. Tradition. Tradition. Don't you remember that strawberry shortcake episode? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's tradition. Who knew that Daddy was copying? <laughs> That's all I can a... strawberry shortcake. I am not stra copying strawberry shortcake. Daddy's copying strawberry Daddy's copying strawberry Copyright. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I didn't know. First Corinthians shortcake. 10. Got it. 1 through 3. Okay. I couldn't see the little... Thanks. You're fine. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should ye should be ignorant. What's that word? Yeah. Ignorant. You just spoke over the top of her. You who say ye should be ignorant. Ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea where all the and were all and were all the baptized no the I didn't say the yeah you did you said the baptized and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. Excellent. In this, we see that the cloud and the sea baptized the Israelites as they escaped Egypt and were coming towards the promised land. Did they get into the promised land after they went in through the sea and escaped on the other side on dry ground? Yeah. Yes. They were in the promised land when they escaped through the sea and entered no. onto the other side on dry ground? No. No. I heard, did they make it to it? Yes, afterwards. That's what I heard. Yes, but how much further afterwards did it take? Years. Years. I think this is a valuable and very important thing for us to recognize because the day I received the ordinance of the church by following it in water baptism doesn't show that I've all of a sudden arrived exactly where I'm supposed to be in the promised land. What it shows is there's still a journey, which is why 
Paul in Corinthians mentions that the cloud is also a form of baptism that the people are following as they're going through the wilderness towards the promised land is because we are still on a regular daily journey. Perhaps you have not yet been water baptized. That's part of life. And I want to talk about that in an example of how I came to the decision to be water baptized. I was not born into a family that was a regular all the time. We have to go to church kind of a family. I came to faith in Christ of my own accord. Yes, my parents were Christians. They became Christians. However, I made the choice, not because of my parents, but because of my own volition, my own choice. I said I wanted to be a follower of Jesus. The day I gave my heart to the Lord, I was actually rather young. I was approximately 11 years old. And again, I gave my heart to the Lord because I felt like I did not, I was like the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and I needed to reconfess unto the Lord when I was 15. I rededicated my life unto the Lord again. And in between that period, I did not get water baptized. At 15, I again did not get water baptized. 16, I again did not get water baptized. The reason was because I had become confused with what water baptism was. I thought water baptism meant that I had to then become a member of whatever church I was water baptized in. And yet that's not a true fact. I want us to understand that when I get water baptized, that doesn't mean that I am a member of that specific church. It is okay to be water baptized in a river outside here in the Punjab or in Haryana or in Himachal or in Jammu Kashmir. It doesn't mean that you are then a member of the church, like you have achieved some kind of membership role that, they can, that I am then counted and documented according to. What it means is I have now become one with Christ who also was water baptized. Now, the important thing for us to also recognize is that there's different ways that people water baptize. Some people water baptize with a handful of water in their hand and they place it on top of the person's head and they sprinkle it on their face. And that is a form of water baptism that is found in the Methodist and or Episcopalian church. Sometimes the Roman Catholics do it that way. Another form is, is that you are baptized when you are an infant and that has nothing to do with when you're an adult. And so therefore it's very important for you to say, okay, I've been baptized into the church as an infant, but yet as an adult, I need to make the choice or the decision that I want to be baptized following our Lord and baptism, water baptism as he did. Now, in the Assemblies of God, in the way that I believe, which is a Pentecostal form of faith in Christ, of Pentecostal church, we believe in complete submersion in the water, that that is a form of water baptism. So these are the different types of baptism out there. If I was to baptize somebody as an ordained minister, which I am, I would do that through submersion by dunking the person completely under the water and they would be raised back up as I've described earlier in water baptism. So to continue on in my story, when I was 17 years old, which just so happens to be the same age as Xavier, 
-hmm. I chose because I finally came to the understanding that being baptized is not the same thing as joining or becoming the member of a specific church. I then decided to go for water baptism. And so there are numerous times that we can read in the Bible, in the book of Acts, for instance, where there was a man that he saw water immediately after he got saved. And he said, should I not just go ahead and get baptized now? So for him, and it was an immediate thing for other people. We talked last week about the jailer and his family. When they were saved, they immediately got baptized. And yes, this is an important thing. But for some of us who are analytical, like I happen to be on occasion, this is a process that does take place inside of our minds that sometimes can take years. Does that mean that that is wrong or the wrong way of getting baptized? Absolutely not. We are who we are. We are who God created us to be. And if we say, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior, that is what matters the most. And as I continue to grow in faith and continue to seek out his face and say that this is what I want to do, I want to get water baptized. If that takes a process of a few years, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I don't see anywhere in the Bible that it says you must immediately be baptized immediately. The Egyptian, the Israelites that when they crossed out of Egypt into the towards the promised land and wandered around in the desert for 40 years. Not every one of those people that followed the cloud and went through the sea and were baptized in accordance with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 3, were actually believers. In fact, several of them ended up dying as they were wandering through the wilderness and were seen as not only apostates, but people who were evil and vile. This is something to recognize also that when baptism takes place, that doesn't mean that the person is always 100% the most holy person and best example that anybody could ever follow. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. Evil and vile are the same letters. Hey, there are, you right? Mm-hmm. So... To follow Christ, who began his ministry with water baptism, which is found in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13, and baptism, which was taken by all the disciples in John chapter 4, verse 1. Yes, that includes Judas. All who can't call on the name of the Lord Jesus and repent of their sins and follow after him at some point in their life need to follow him in water baptism. The second ordinance of the church, also known as the Lord's Supper, is communion. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. That's me. I like how we're going backwards in 1 Corinthians. Because you also have me reading 17 through 34. Oh gosh. Why are you? It would be four words. In right It would be four words since we started with ten. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying I'm going 23 through 26, and then later I'm going to go backwards to 17 through 36. That's okay. This is the part that this that is a question, and this is not the yeah. question. This okay. is what communion is. Ready? Okay. 
For I received from the Lord that I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah, I read all of it. Wonderful. So what now constitutes in this day and age, the 21st century, is the tradition of Holy Communion, which is the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine. You will see wine common in an Episcopalian, Anglican, Catholic church setting, and you will see grape juice and a Protestant type setting, which is a similar form of wine, just not fermented. The bread is a representation of Christ's body. Breaking the bread is a reminder of the fact that he was beaten and scarred and hung on a cross for our healing. The juice is a representation or the wine is a representation of Christ's blood. Drinking the cup of wine is a reminder that the blood which Jesus poured out for us on the cross and when taking the beating and when getting a crown of thorns thrust on his head and when having a spear stuck into his side and the blood in the water flowed, that spilling of blood that Jesus did is a reminder of us, reminder to us of the forgiveness of our sins. Taking communion is also a reminder that Christ gave us the gift of life and that his life did not end in death but did continue as he was risen from the grave and one day he will return yet again unto us to gather us as his people in the resurrection of Christ where we will live with him united all of eternity. Communion is again an outward symbol of what has happened in our inward self and is to be proclaimed to everyone. Additional reminder of communion is that Jesus is the bread, the manna spoken of during Israel's escape from Egypt. Jesus is fulfilling that as being the bread that we consume in our spirit man. Jesus is the bread of life, which he spoke about. Jesus's blood is a covenantal blood between Jesus and us. In other words, God suffered with God in order to redeem our lives. Jesus's blood equals life. Jesus's flesh and blood show that I am united and have a oneness with God our Father, the Holy Spirit, and Christ his Son. Communion was given by Christ during the Last Supper, and the passage of scripture that Xavier just read to us was giving, they were talking about taking communion after what they would have as a love feast. So the church would gather together and they would all bring their food together. They would eat and to conclude that meal, they would then take communion. In the 21st century, we take communion in church after the preaching of the word normally. And we do that in order to recognize that Jesus, again, died, 
was rose again and will return for his church as a reminder that he is coming back for us and that our sins are forgiven. Communion was given by Christ during the Last Supper. The last time Jesus ate with his disciples, remember, was a Passover meal. And we now look at these two ordinances of the church, which in the Assemblies of God is doctrine number six of the 16 fundamental truths that the Assemblies of God follow. And so we are going to talk about a few things within this. But before we do that, does anybody have anything else they want to add about baptism and or communion while I take a drink? I stopped eating them, that's why. I haven't eaten them because there are so many bad ones that I found. There's fruit flies on them. There were. Yeah. There are. Have you seen flying around? There still are? Mm -hmm. The fridge and there's fruit flies on them. How'd that happen? Fruit flies can survive in the fridge? Mm -hmm. I always think the fruit flies bring them. Fruit fly, don't bother me. Fruit fly. No, I see All right. Fly now. Question number one. First, we're going to read the passage of Scripture, which is found in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Not me. Not me. Wait, wait, wait. No, that is me. Mm. It first. Oh. Um. Alright. He that believeth that is messed up. He that believeth. <laughs> Why are you still laughing? Why are you laughing? You, you said it, it exactly right. You right. said it the right way twice. And is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be demanded. Damned. Oh, damned. You want to say? Okay. Did he not say damned on top of her damned? Oh, both damned. Damned. They damned. Damned. I thought they damned at the same time. Simple question. Who is to be baptized? Those that believe. Yeah, us. Believers. I'm catching the fruit fly. It's right there. Those that right believe. There. Simple question. Is there anybody else that should be baptized? Uh, no. I mean, we, I've started noticing here in the 21st century, living in Asia, that there is baptism that has started to take over other religions, that they are trying to take on some of the ordinances of the church in order to convince people that their religion is the proper way and that Christianity is not. Let's remember what the tradition shows us. Tradition shows us that water baptism was something that began in Israel, followed not just with Jews, but continued on with the Christian sect of faith in the one true God, creator of heaven and earth. 
Next question comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. First Corinthians and Matthew. That's why I know it's not me. It's not me because I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done reading. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. With this knowledge that sin has been put to death, what new changes need to take place in your life? What do I want? Now in Matthew chapter 26, Verses 26 through 30. That was a rhetorical question. Mm. Mm. It was a thought-provoking question. Am I in Matthew? Start with as they were eating. That's where I was going to start. Great. I was just making sure I was in the right area. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in with until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's one more verse there. Yeah, that's what I thought. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. That's it. What do the bread and the cup symbolize? Jesus' body and blood. Do they actually turn into, if uh, today we don't have grape juice, but we do have grapes, and uh, we don't have wine, but we do have grapes, uh, we don't have... Uh, bread in the capacity that I baked some bread last night so that way we're going to tear it but we have some multi-grain sliced bread here that we're going to take in a few moments to um, participate in the ordinance of the church of holy communion does this grape when we put it into our mouth turn into Jesus's blood and will this bread turn all of a sudden into Jesus's flesh that we are cannibals that we will be eating of his flesh and of his blood mm, in no. order to uh, take Holy Communion. No, it's no. just a representation. It is a representation and it is a reminder unto us of the things that we've talked about and read about, which is that Jesus died, rose again, and is coming back for us soon. So why did... Oh, go ahead. Um, how often are we supposed to take Communion? That's a great question. We can take Communion as often as we gather. So it could be every single time we gather as a church. It can be once a month. It could be once a year. But in order to remind us sometimes, in order to keep us on track, it probably is better to do it more often than it is less often. 
Great question. Why did Christ shed his blood? For the forgiveness of our sins. So when Christ shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, does that mean he continues to remember the things that we did that were wrong? No. So why do we remember them? Because we're not God. (laughs) (laughs) We as humans are really hard on ourselves. We can pick ourselves to um, the point of death. Like We know all of our imperfections and even... Even if we arrive to the point of, okay, I'm satisfied with the person who I am, we still find the flaws and how could someone love us so much and forgive us so much when we can't even forgive our own selves? It's just a, you really got to conquer, conquer that. And definitely. you can only do that in Jesus' name. Definitely. But he definitely forgives us. When he right. said he forgave us, he forgave us. When we confess him as Lord and Savior, he forgives us. Mm -hmm. He does not remember the things that we remember. He does not hold on to them. And so at the same point, we must forgive ourselves. But in addition, we should forgive others. Which means when we're having those conversations with our spouse, and it becomes one of those moments of aggravation and maybe even deeper than just a... Uh, disagreement discussion argument and becomes very personal and we start bringing up things for the past that have even been asked to be forgiven we are not being followers of christ in that moment because what we are doing is is we are falling back into our earthly old man's ways and we are bringing up the past and we are bringing back accusations against the person who may have already forgiven themselves and and been forgiven by you and by God, and we're reminding them of their sin, which is something that God doesn't do. The same comes true for our children. This happens often that we bring up things that we don't like of what they've done in the past, and maybe they've asked for forgiveness. And in that moment, remember last week, or a few weeks ago in family, and even last week, we talked two weeks ago when we were talking about family we were talking about church, church uh, marriage and christianity being a microcosm marriage being a microcosm of what jesus is as the groomsman and the church being the bride when we are doing that when we are yelling at our kids bringing up things that they've asked us to forgive them for and even asked us tearfully sobbing knowing that it was something that they didn't do that was correct and wrong and yet we accuse them of going back and start yelling at them for the thing that they didn't even do but reminding them of it again we are not being christ-like in that moment but instead we are being evil in the capacity of what Satan tries to do, which is to remind us of our past. That's Satan's biggest objective in our lives is to remind us of our past so that that way he can destroy us. And it's God, specifically through Christ Jesus, it's his desire to lead us into that eternal life, that moment of now living and into the future. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. 
Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to you sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, it is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. What are we sharing together when we participate? in communion Christ yes and why did the early followers of Christ eat from the same loaf of bread to show that we're all sharing from the same body same as drinking from the same cup is to resemble that we're all drinking of the same person yeah now again in the 21st century if you go into the church there are some uh, things that have happened a little bit differently. You, in some churches, you get an individual cup where you're drinking from it, and you get an individual piece of bread where you're not breaking it off, and sometimes it's in a plate uh, passed around. Even nowadays, I've met a man several years ago, an entrepreneur who was also a pastor, who was, um, he was making communion cups so that that way uh, it was hermetically sealed and clean, the juice was on the inside, and then it had a piece of uh, uh, plastic over the top of it. Then there was a piece of bread, a wafer, bread wafer placed there. And then he had another thing on the top of that, and it was all hermetically sealed so that that way uh, nobody else was touching it, no germs were getting on it, and those things. Some places pass that out. And then there's other places that you still break off a piece of bread, and you all drink from the same cup. And I've done that on several occasions where I've broken off a piece of bread and I've drank from the same cup as the person in front of me did and the people behind me would follow me in doing. And in those moments when we're breaking off from the same piece of bread and drinking from the same cup, take all of the science out of your mind, take all of the COVID regulations out of your mind for a second, take all of the germs that are being spread and all of that kind of a thing. The reality is, is that's not what's happening here. What we have happening here is we're showing not just a unity amongst all Christians, whether rich or poor, black, brown, or white, but we are showing that we are all one body, which means we are all his children and that we are all to be treated equally. That was exactly the reason for communion. And it is exactly the reason for communion today. And perhaps, let's just ask ourselves this, perhaps the modern day way of taking communion with a single individualized cup and my own single individualized wafer of bread, perhaps that's teaching me to reflect more selfishly on myself and being less reflective on my brother or my sister that are with me. Last passage of scripture, and this is a long one, about that right is first corinthians chapter 11 17 through 34 a portion of this we've already read and that is the portion of the lord's supper but we're going to ask ourselves a few questions at the conclusion of this reading but in the following instructions i do not commend you because when you came together it is not for the better but for the worse 
For in the first place, when you came together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those things you have nothing, who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord that I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the Lord, blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we be, oh, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may, we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that whenever you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So what happens when someone takes communion in an unworthy manner? They'll be judged. Mm. They'll be judged. But not by man. Because that is not our place to do that. It's God's judgment brought down upon them. And they'll be judged along with the world. Yes. Which talks to us a couple of things. First of all, that there are two judgments. There's the judgment of the saints. And there is the judgment of those who do not confess Christ as their Lord and Savior. So if you came to faith in Christ and think, oh, this means that I don't face judgment. I got news for you. You do. We all face judgment. What is that judgment going to look like? And who is the one? And who is the one that's going to be standing in our stead? If we believe on Jesus Christ, in the judgment of the saints, it is his blood that frees us and gives us forgiveness of our sins. Why does the Lord discipline those that he loves? That way they can learn and grow from that. Correction is good. If we heed correction, we grow. Yeah. Do you like to be corrected, Mallory? Not all the time. Do you like it sometimes, though? Well, if I don't know it, then I'll just say, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but doesn't it help you grow? Yeah. Yeah, it does. 
So he corrects those, he disciplines those that he loves. Sometimes we feel like, oh, the world is against me and even God himself is against me. What if that's correction coming from God himself in order to help us realize that we need to change something in our lives? Is that so bad? I don't think so. I want God to correct me. I want him to discipline me because it shows that he loves me. Did you know that the reason that mommy and I have disciplined you over the years is because we love you? Yeah. Yeah. When you're shedding the tears and crying and going, oh my goodness, I did something wrong and mommy and daddy are correcting me. Does it feel really good in that moment or does it hurt? It hurts. Yeah, it does hurt. And that hurt can be confused with actual hurt like real hurt, like painful hurt, like people making fun of you kind of hurt. But the reality is, is that's not the type of hurt that it is. And we must recognize that when we're being disciplined by those who love us, we're dis being disciplined in a way that brings correction so that we can not only become better people, but we can become more like Christ himself. Last question. Can you avoid the Lord's discipline? No. And would you want to if you could? No. No. Not getting sucked up by a whale. <laughs> getting sucked up by a whale? A big fish? Well, we're going to take communion on this podcast today. And if you're at home and you have some bread and you have some juice, some grape juice or some juice you can or grapes in general or, or wine general or wine pour yourself a glass of wine not a glass you're just taking a sip but a shot let's pray over this let's pray over this bread and this wine this grape that we're getting ready to take and let's ask that the lord would remind us of exactly why we're taking communion today Xavier, would you pray over the bread? Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, pray over the bread and that we it, receive it in a manner that is acceptable to you, that we judge ourselves properly in your sight to the point where we are able to take this bread and that we take it in remembrance of you as you broke your body for us in your name. This is the bread of Christ which has been given for your healing. Let's take it. Blair, will you pray over the wine, which in this case happens to be grapes? Doing a mukbang. We didn't ask God to forgive us of our sins. We didn't take a moment of pause or reflection. That's what your prayer's for. Okay. Asking God to forgive you. Well, I already did. Okay. Anyway, I want that bread after we're done with this. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you yet again during this time of communion and for the blood that you've shed on the cross. 
for each and every one of us and for our sins. I thank you, Lord God, for the blood that you did shed so that we may have eternal life with you forever. I thank you, Lord God, for bearing each and every one of our sins as we come to your throne and approach you with our requests of forgiveness. Help us, Lord God, to continue to remember you each and every day as we strive to wholeheartedly serve you in all we say and in all we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. This is the blood of Christ that has been shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Table hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I there are times to, I came to communion like super hungry. <laughs> every time that I do communion, I always want to put it in my mouth. Let's take this. Father God, as always, there is some leftover. There's some leftover bread. There's some leftover wine. In this case, grapes. The reason we do that is as a symbol again, that there are others that are still out there in this world that can be added to your table today. As we remember what you did on the cross for our sins, the penalty in which you paid for our healing, that you were raised to life and that we too will have eternal life one day. We ask, Lord, that you will also be with us and remind us as we walk out the doors of our home, our car, or our churches, that there are others out there that are to be gathered together to participate in these two ordinances which we talked about today of water baptism and Holy Communion. And may we continue to prepare the table for our brothers and sisters, no matter what their ages are, no matter what their cultural background is, no matter what nation they are from, may we be unified in one body, just as we are unified under one Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Five alive out.